Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I, I, Tony. I mean, you're giving examples uh, from uh, which I don't think anyone today worries about at all. This is whether or not God has knowledge of particulars. I've never come across a human being in today's world. Maybe they exist in Harvard or Oxford. People do worry about this, but I'm not aware of any human being ever worrying about this. A more contemporary example, and we can't go, to, we can't discuss this in detail, otherwise it would derail the whole thing. Would be uh, to, to give an actual contemporary example of this: the existence of Adam and Eve as special creations. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we can't go into this, but you could use this this schemata perhaps to some extent to say, you know, uh, what, what does script, scripture require? Does it require this uh, as a belief uh, that we should assent mm-hmm. to? Uh, the existence, the historical existence of Adam and Eve as special creations of God. My understanding is yes, but then what do I know? I'm not a scholar, but that seems to be my reading of the Quran. Um, it, you know, is that clear? Is it? Yes, it is. The rational, you know, is it beyond reasonable doubt? Then you can look into the, the alleged evolution of hominids and human beings and Darwinian evolution, yep. all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite a complex process, but that would be, I think, uh, um, uh, an analogy, a modern example of this. Exactly. Rather than, knowledge of particulars is not really interesting anymore it's just not exactly that. right right um, which is also sometimes why it's it's good to use that as an example because people are not like emotionally <laughs> I, I, i'm aware that's why you did that but i want i wanted to really uh, charge it home because unless this has utility for us today it, it's just theoretical and, and absolutely it, yeah. and, and the Eve is probably one of the most single pressing issues intellectually and this the issue has been addressed and it is being addressed i'm not saying it's not been right but this way ibn Taymiyyah's uh uh uh, uh, predominance chart, if you like, can actually be quite yep. useful. I agree with that. And I think any such issue can just be run, you know, through this. And that's a great example that you brought up. And as we go through this, we'll see how this can apply. So, you know, again, either they're both conclusive. And so re- revelation reason attests conclusive, conclusively to one and the same fact, or you might have a case in which you have a conclusive rational proof on something, but in, in scripture, you know, might address the same thing, but it might be inconclusive either inconclusive text or the meaning is somewhat ambiguous. And so in this case, you would have a conclusive rational proof would then take precedence over the inconclusive scriptural proof. Now, in this case, it's not because it's reason that it's taking precedence as per the universal law. It's because it happens to be conclusive on this point. And so you give 
weight to the epistemically superior you know, uh, source of knowledge. And if, it's, if reason is actually definitive in this case, and revelation is, in, is inconclusive, then you go with what's conclusive over what's I, I, I just wonder, if Razi had been alive, I, I know Razi died, what, a century before Ibn Timir yeah. was born, if only uh, they had been contemporaries and Ibn Timir had presented this to, to Razi, who, of course, was the preeminent articulator, I think, of the, uh, the universal rule. And what would Razi... I, I just can't think that Razi would have to have admitted that he was roundly beaten and said yep this is better this is much much better I, but mm-hmm. we will never know i guess it would have been very interesting to see yes. obviously <laughs> and then we can also have so you know opposite of, of this lower left hand corner we have up here in the upper right hand corner mm-hmm. uh, you might have a case in which reason now is inconclusive but scripture is conclusive on something and so in that case the conclusive scriptural proof would take precedence over the inconclusive rational proof but again why is it taking precedence because it's conclusive and the other one is inconclusive, right? And so then the last category would be maybe both of them are addressing the same point, but they're both inconclusive. So we, you know, we have an inconclusive rational proof or argument for something and revelation also is inconclusive in the knowledge it gives us. And so both of them are inconclusive together. And in this case, you would just have to weigh off, you know, which is the stronger of the two. And so the stronger, the rajah of the two inconclusive proofs would take precedence over the weaker. So in some cases, it might be the scriptural proof, although they're both inconclusive, the scriptural proof is, you know, epistemically stronger than the rational proof, or maybe the rational proof might be stronger than the scriptural proof. So we would go with that one, because although it's not definitive, neither is a revelational one, and it happens to be stronger. And so what he's trying to say here is that it's not a question of reason taking as taken as a block or revelation taken as a block. What we need to do is break down each one into its constituent parts, realize that revelation consists of many different things, reason consists of many different things, each different component might sit in a different place on the epistemic scale of certainty, and what really matters is the epistemic quality of the proof in question, primarily, and not primarily its source in either reason or revelation. And so to take this to the modern day, as you said, you know, again, reason for us is basically science, I mean, applied reason in the form of like empirical science, and so yes, all right, the Quran has always been understood and seems very clearly to state that Adam, peace be upon him, was sort of created. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, especially kind of miraculously as a, as a fully grown human being, uh, not born of, you know, of some other creature and like grew up as a baby and all of that. And, and this obviously conflicts with the uh, contemporary evolutionary paradigm, which would, which would uh, reject this and say that human beings, again, you know, uh, evolved from previous hominids and so forth. Yeah. And so what do you do? And this has been, as you mentioned, a great kind of source of... So, so what do you do? I'm going to put you on this spot here. I mean, I know this is not <laughs> we, we, we're not planning to do this. It wasn't intended to do this. But what do you do then? Because I, 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 can we agree that scripture is pretty clear that it does say that? I mean, I, I, I'm not a scholar, so I'm just... Yeah, I would. Yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable saying that the Quran is sort of conclusive on the special creation of, of, of Adam. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and therefore we cannot accept that, uh, you, you know, we cannot accept that there was not a individual that, you know, Adam who was specially created by God. The question is, you know, 
all right, obviously the evolutionary paradigm doesn't accept that, but, but here you would have to ask the question, okay, what is, you know, science in general, what is it doing? I would say, okay, science is looking at patterns that recur in the world and it's trying to come up with universal laws to explain those patterns, yeah. right? By definition, something that is miraculous breaks the pattern. And so anything that's miraculous is not going to fall within the purview of science to begin with. And so to give a different example in the Quran actually says this, you know, the likeness of Adam is the likeness of Jesus or the likeness of Jesus is like the likeness of Adam, mm-hmm. right? It actually draws every single, you know, human being that has been born, say, after Adam and his wife has been born through normal human sexual reproduction, sperm, yeah. egg, gestation in the womb, birth, okay? That's been the case of every single human being, except we would say as Muslims, there is one man who lived in, you know, uh, Palestine 2,000 years ago, who was not born in this manner. He was actually born of a virgin woman who had never been touched by a man, who nevertheless conceived a baby and gave birth to him. Now, on the surface of it, Jesus, presumably, I mean, obviously he was born of, 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 of his mother, presumably had 46 chromosomes. I imagine if we were, to, you know, if they were to be able to do like tests at the time, right? And so to all intents and purposes, he looked like he was born like every other person, but we would hold that, no, he was actually conceived miraculously speaking, right? Now, science could never confirm that because science would not, by the way it's designed, it is designed to um, recognize and account for patterns, not the break of the pattern. So science would say, okay, if Jesus was born, if Jesus existed, then he must have come about through normal human sexual reproduction. That would be what they call uh, metaphysical naturalism. That is holding that the method of science is not just a methodological assumption, but it's actually a larger metaphysical commitment that there cannot be anything that escapes the scientific view. There cannot be any process or, you know, ontologically speaking, there's no possibility of something having come about in a way other than what science could recognize. And so many modern people take on that assumption because they mix kind of the methodological naturalism of science with the metaphysical, you know, a deeper metaphysical commitment to, to materialism. And so, so in this sense, you know, science would, if taken as metaphysical naturalism, would say, no, a virgin birth is actually impossible because there's no, there's no force external to the material world that could possibly have brought that about. There's no God, there's no miracles, right? And so we know that this could not have happened because it breaks the scientific pattern. A more modest claim would say, okay, science cannot adjudicate this because if it did happen, it would have been a break. It would have represented a break in the pattern that science has created to investigate and discover. So by definition, science can only register patterns. That's what it's designed to do. And if something breaks the pattern, then it's just not going to fall within the purview of science. Now, if you have other grounds for believing that this happened, right, it would, this would be an epistemological question. On what grounds would one believe that Mary, for example, gave birth to, uh, as a virgin or was impregnated as a virgin and gave birth to a child, you know, you would have to have pretty strong epistemic grounds to believe something like that. Because, you know, if someone just came to me and said, oh, look, this woman's pregnant, by the way, she's a virgin. I, was, I would not be inclined to believe that. I'm glad to right? hear that. I'm glad to hear it, that. It's not the way things normally work. Now, is it metaphysically impossible? Of course, as Muslims, we say, no, it's not, because we understand that these patterns that science are, is uncovering are, are not, uh, you, you know, they're not deterministic and necessary. They're, they're simply God's way of running the universe. They're God's habit, his pattern, his adr or sunnah in the world. And because he's in control of every atom at every moment, he could break the pattern whenever he wants. He's perfectly free to do that. So it's not 
metaphysically or ontologically impossible for us. But we also wouldn't just gullibly believe every kind of claim. Okay. Uh, but for us, we would say we actually have epistemic grounds to hold this, and our epistemic grounds are revelation, right? Because we uphold and maintain that the Quran actually is revelation. And so we we do have an epistemically reliable source on the basis of which to make this claim. Now, is this a scientific claim? No, it's not. No, because again, the, the problem then it would seem to be that the reason there's a problem at all is is not the intrinsic merits of anything that you've said. It is the uh, the ubiquity, the Weltanschauung, the, the German, the, yeah. the, the worldview that we inhabit now in the mm-hmm. world, uh, but especially in the West, is scientific. Uh, it is exactly. materialistic in its um, tenor. So it, it simply has squeezed out to the margins metaphysical and theological uh, data. Uh, mm-hmm. From Revelation, so it's, it's it's a plausibility structure that's the change. There's a difference. Exactly. Peter yeah. Goethe, the the American sociologist, have it. The plausibility structure. I, he used that expression, and and so it's to do with habits of thought and the way we interrogate reality, rather than the distinctive evidences of revelation and reason and science that are the issue here. Because your explanation makes sense, uh, and I like the uh, I like the, the teasing offering there. You talk about Jesus, virgin birth. So Jesus would have had human DNA. So you would have had DNA from a mother and a father. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Even though he didn't have a father, I'm assuming if we could, if scientists could examine his DNA, that he would have the usual male and female chromosomes. Presumably, he was yeah. born of a, so he, this is a, clearly a case of miracle. Uh, he wouldn't have been human but, otherwise. That's the point. He would have had to have had that to be human at all. Um, yeah. And so, so to go back to the question of Adam, again, I think that scripturally, you know, we are committed to Adam himself, that individual having been you know, right. created miraculously by God. If that is the case, right, that's not something that science can would be expected to pick up on or accommodate because it would be, at least according to the current paradigm, right, where science is trying to, you know, it understands life to have come about gradually, right, as a process. Um, you know, if that, if according to that scientific understanding, it's not possible for a creature to have just supervened upon that, without being part of the process itself, right? But again, that's a larger commitment that science is not is not looking beyond what are predictable patterns. So, so that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, so 
So we could hold as Muslims that, okay, perhaps the evolutionary understanding of current science is accurate overall. I mean, God, again, we would understand metaphysically that that's God creating everything. And maybe he did create things like slowly, you know, and change them slightly over time until one thing sort of gradually turned into another. That's that's possible. We would, we would understand that as God being the one behind that anyway. So it would not be a, a, an atheistic kind of presumption on our part. We would understand that as just simply the way God decided, decided to create things. However, we would say, even if he did create, you know, everything else that way, when it came to the creation of man, right, understood as not just homo sapiens or the particular morphological, you know, like body, but who is this insan that we're talking about, that the Quran is talking about? Yeah, you had insan, oh man, who is this man? So we would say we have a particular body, but we also have the ruh or the spirit blown into us. We also have reason. We have language. God taught Adam the names of all things. We have moral responsibility, taklif. So there's all these different things that make us human. I think if, if we saw anybody with our body um, and also could speak and think, but for example, had no moral sense, like literally the person had no, not just that they were very evil, but had literally had no concept of right and wrong. We'd say, okay, that's not a human being. I don't know what that is, but it's not a human being. <laughs> Looks like a human being, talks like a human being, very close. But you would say that's not a human being if the if if the entity has no moral sense whatsoever. So I'd say for us as Muslims, that's irreducible uh, moral sense. There are all these things that are irreducible to what it means to be a human. So we 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 might say that okay, maybe God created all of these other entities, you know, gradually. But when He decided that He wanted to create a human being, and and endow this human being with a special uh, mission on earth, which was to carry the moral law, the khilafah, you know, this kind of vicegerency on the earth and so forth. He decided that he would create this creature, and he created it the way he said he did in the Quran. He created the body, then he blew his spirit into it and so forth, and then the creature came to be alive as an adult, you know, fully formed human being. Is this miraculous? Yes, but that's fine. We don't have any problem affirming miracles. Because there's no Muslim who doesn't believe in the virgin birth. I mean, if you deny it, you kind of you've denied the Quran. There's no Muslim who doesn't believe. I'm not going to not going to mention their names. It would be inappropriate. But there is a certain well-known uh, YouTuber, um, Muslim scholar. I mean, he really is a mufti. Um, yeah. So no more than that. Who publicly denies the virgin birth on the grounds that the Quran doesn't teach it. I'm not going to go there, by the way. But I, I'm just saying. Okay. That, I mean, there are, yeah. there are unfortunately exceptions. <laughs> if you want to turn it into a hermeneutical debate, I mean, Ibn Taymiyyah would also have a lot to say about this. Mm. Um, I guess I'll stop the show. Ibn Taymiyyah would have a lot to say about this as well. Uh, you know, that's a question of can the Quran just mean anything we want it to mean? You know, I mean, how do you actually go about understanding it? How, how do you establish what it says or not? And again, we live in a postmodern environment which plays footloose and fancy free. You know, with text which denies that texts actually have any inherent meaning, that it's possible to uh, uncover or even talk about authorial intent and so forth. And so, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, you have exegesis, which is to try to get the meaning out of the text that's in it, and you have eisegesis, which is reading meanings into the text. And we've seen this throughout Islamic history too. Many different groups have come up and said, well, we interpret this differently, we interpret that differently. So the question of like, how do we interpret revelation and establish what it actually says is a huge topic. And in fact, Ibn Taymiyyah says a lot about it in chapter four of my book goes into that. We won't have time to do that today, but that is very important. But I'd say back to the question of, you know, like uh, evolution, is that we would say, you know, if one were to endorse for whatever empirical or scientific reasons, if one felt compelled, you know, given the current state of science to sort of endorse the overall evolutionary paradigm, we could simply say as Muslims, okay, fine, 
that's the way God created everything else. But when it came to human beings, to Adam specifically, he created him in a specific way. That's no different essentially from his having decided to create Jesus in a particular way, or the fact that Moses, you know, hit the Red Sea with his staff and it parted. That doesn't normally happen. I mean, I could go to any body of water and hit it with a stick until I blew in the face. I, I, I would not expect that it would, you know, open up into the, you know, the, this dry passageway with uh, the mountain like water on both sides, as as expressed in the Quran. But every Muslim, you know, we'd agree that okay, that these were all miracles. When Moses threw down his staff, it actually turned into a serpent and gobbled up the. The, the, the staffs and, and ropes of the magicians and so forth. These are all miraculous occurrences, and we don't have any problem as Muslims, you know, uh, affirming that this. And so if the first human being was created miraculously, so be it. And this, for us, you know, uh, it, although it's not a scientific conclusion, that's fine because we don't have a scientific worldview to begin with. And what, this sounds shocking to people. We don't have a scientific worldview. No, it doesn't mean we don't use science and, and benefit from it. But a scientific worldview, the Weltanschauung, as you said, it means that your your view of what exists and how things work is limited to the scientific method. And of course, it's, I mean, it's that would just called scientism, isn't it? This, this just the scientism, right? And if that's your ideology of science, rather than right. a, a tool, a mechanism, a way of of interrogating empirical reality, it then becomes a metaphysical worldview. People like Richard Dawkins famously yep. are, are uh, advocates of scientism in that sense as a, a militant ideology that excludes uh, on philosophical and theological grounds sins of God, which is, of course, nothing, nothing. A scientist can't do that by definition because right. they're. That's a philosophical making that kind of assumption. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the point is like if you're going to actually adopt a scientific worldview, then how are you a Muslim to begin with? And I don't mean that you know to poke people in the eye, but how is it scientific, quote unquote, to say that you know an angel came from an unseen realm and flew down to a man in seventh century Arabia and delivered words from a transcendental yeah. God? I mean, that's not scientific either well, in the sense that science jinn, cannot and angels and jinn and angels. I mean, there's a whole. Right. There's a whole uh, other realms, dimensions of existence, which interpenetrate with our existence on, on occasion. And the problem is that? when you say in the modern world, oh, that's not scientific, people say, what are you saying? You know, like, <laughs> you're not saying it's scientific. It's like it, as if you're therefore impugning the, the belief. No, I'm not doing that because we're not scientific in that sense, yeah. right? It's not scientific, but that's because we would look at science as being one activity among many. It's one way of getting at some knowledge of certain aspects of reality. I mean, there's the there's a scene and the unseen science by definition is limited to the seen world, the seen empirically available world. In the Quran, uh, uh, Allah always talks about the unseen and the seen, al ghaib wa shahada. And as I mentioned in the book, the ghaib is always mentioned first. The unseen is always mentioned first. So in fact, it's ontologically prior to the to, to the scene. So science, I mean, is actually limited to a very specific aspect of reality, which is real, but it's only one aspect of reality and has no way of even getting to when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The unseen realm, right? And so, um, so science can do its work on the seen realm without us being committed metaphysically to the non-existence of any realm other than what science investigates. It's not complicated, you know, uh, uh, philosophically to understand that. But as you said, because we live in this particular world, right? Uh, metaphysical claims or claims about an unseen reality are just, they're, they're not part of the lived reality of most modern people. Because again, we, we're, we grow up from early on with this basically uh, assumptions of scientism baked into the way we talk, the way we explain things, the way we think about things, it's in our education. Um, uh, uh, and so we, we kind of take that on unwittingly as our worldview. And even if a lot of us, I think modern Muslims, yeah, we believe in angels and jinn, we sort of tick it off on the box of Akhida. Do we really, like, is our actual worldview, like, infused with those realities as it was probably for people in the past or maybe people today in other cultures where, you know, the unseen is actually like a palpable part of their psychic reality? Like, they actually think about it. They actually experience it. They actually are aware of it. Many of the, I always say, many of the uh, dua, the, the, pr- the prayers that the Prophet taught us, you know, when, when you say assalamu alaikum assalam, on each side when you pray, you know, who are you saying Looking that to? Some the say the congregation, some say your, the, the, the angels, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. when you come into your house, you say assalamu alaikum, even if there's no one no one home, quote unquote. Well, but there are angels there and you're you're saying salam to the angels. So even some of these very simple practices of of, of uh, supplications that we make, you know, are if you take those seriously and, and think about them and do them that's actually reinforcing the reality of the unseen realm because you're actually interacting with it. You know, when you, when you greet angels, when you come home, well, okay, now, now you're aware that there are angels in, in your home. Mm-hmm. And that's not just like some, you know, cute, like uh, oh, flourish or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that's real. Like we, we, the prophet saw angels. He, he heard what they were saying. He knew when they were in, in the message, like, you know, he had privy to this unseen realm, which is unseen for most of us, but prophets and others sometimes are given, you know, uh, access to that to that realm. It's it's very real, but you know, uh, it's well, the thing is, is the the Quran, uh, the, the very first uh, sentence really of the second surah, the longest in the Quran. This is the scripture of the Quran in which there is no doubt containing guidance for those who are mindful of God, who believe in the unseen. So that's mm-hmm. what, what's beyond their perception, literally the absent. Looking at Abdul Halim's translation here, this applies to the nature of God, the hereafter historical information not witnessed, etc., like the creation of Adam and Eve uh, and the hereafter and also the jinn and the angels. So that, that this, this scripture is precisely for those who believe in the unseen. It's a presupposition right. of believing in Islam at all that you accept the existence of the unseen. And that's at the very beginning of the Quran, like literally choice. after the Fatiha, this like inaugurates the Quran. So it's like the exactly. very beginning. You know, if, if you have a problem with the unseen, okay, stop right there. You know, but <laughs> let, let, before getting on to anywhere else, like let's just talk about, you know, line two of Surah Al-Baqarah, you know, and until we move beyond that, the rest of it is, is, is going to be closed to you, right? Which is why I say if someone comes and says, well, I have a scientific worldview. I mean, I've met modern Christians that, you know, I knew a woman once she went to church and she practiced and she told me when she's like, I don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin. She's like, that's crazy. Like, she's like, I'm a nurse and I see every day how kids are born. And <laughs> I was like, I was taken aback. I'm like, wow, there's no Muslim who would like deny that, you know, well, I mean, because, yeah. well, but we, we have bishops in the Church of England here, but a bishop, um, uh, Jenkins, I forget his first name, uh, some years ago, who famously 
uh, not only denied the virgin birth, he denied the resurrection of Jesus as well. He, he said, I don't believe in a conjuring trick with bones. That was his expression. Right, I'm not saying because- we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, by the way. But I'm giving his example because he also doubted the virgin birth of someone who was a bishop in the uh, David Jenkins. That was his name in right. Durham. Uh, who, so it is actually quite common in the Christian churches. Because, because modern Christians have also very deeply imbibed essentially a, a materialistic and deterministic worldview. I mean, you know, this worldview grew up in Western Christendom and sort of took over. And I think for many people who try to hold on to religious faith, they've, they've nevertheless been very deeply impacted by this. And so they look at, you know, claims of miracles within their own, you know, tradition or scripture and react with incredulity, but that's based on assumptions that I would say, you know, are are antithetical to re- the religious belief to begin with. So it's like, choose your camp, right? But but don't, you know, you know, if you're going to start mixing that way, if you're just going to be a hardcore determinist or materialist, then what are you doing anyway, like in the business? Yeah, it's irrelevant. It's not just a question of whether or not miracles, the unseen happens. It's to do with questions of gender and identity and so on. You yep. choose, choose your worldview here, you know, either go with the secular liberal uh, paradigm and, and all the, the tributaries that come out from that, or you accept one where God exists, God has sent messengers, he sent books and revelation and prophets and so on. You, you need to be clear what your ground is on. Uh, rather than uh, and, and be aware of the pressures also to go a certain way in our society because it's ubiquitous in the media and the state and YouTube, yeah. wherever, uh, uh, certain assumptions um, leading one all the time to see the world in a certain way. And I would also say, just to finish the point about evolution, you know, I had said, like, if one sort of feels compelled for whatever, you know, reasons, empirical or otherwise, to kind of accept the overall uh, evolutionary kind of story, mm-hmm. um, you know, one could do that and still simply say that Adam was an exception to that. Just like we say, yeah, we we also accept that human beings are born in almost every case through normal sexual human reproduction. But, you know, we say that in the case of Jesus, peace be upon him, there's an exception. It's a miracle, no problem. At the same time, I don't think Muslims should feel that they have to bend over backwards necessarily to, in, to sort of accommodate the evolutionary paradigm and start reading the Quran in all sorts of ways to, you know, sort of give maximal um, plausibility to it, because I do think that there are very serious questions raised in the philosophy of science by philosophers of science who have nothing to do with religion or Islam or anything, but there are, you know, competing views as to whether scientific theories, again, abstraction scientific theories, uh, are, you know, are realistic accounts of reality that would be scientific realism, or whether they're just sort of empirically adequate um, or whether they are simply useful models that help us predict and control data without actually corresponding, that would be anti-realism. There's pragmatism. I mean, and these are positions that are taken by philosophers of science of various persuasions, you know, whether believers or atheists, that has nothing to do with it. This is purely in terms of like their philosophical yeah. uh, there's one I think it's an American professor of philosophy, Thomas Nagel, professor yes. of in New York. He, he's written some, uh, uh, I've read one of his books on this, and he, he questions the, the reigning uh, scientific views on that's a very important work it's called uh mind yes. and cosmos yes it's quite short well, although it's it's very condensed and i recommend that yes. and he's, an, he's an atheist and he's calling right. it a question uh, uh, on logical grounds this is not really um uh, a theory that holds up to critical examination right. of logical grounds. and metaphysical grounds he yeah. finds it very implausible yeah. and and i think that it's very important for muslims to be aware of critiques like that 
and mm-hmm. to also take them seriously and to not, therefore, you know, then you realize that because my question would be how much of the evolutionary story, I'm not a biologist, obviously, you know, is interpretation based on the data, but interpretation that is taking place within a worldview that is already secular and already materialistic. I mean, look, if you don't believe that God could have created things, you know, either species or, you know, human beings or whatever, then, well, well, we must have gotten here somehow. Like, there must be some explanation. And and therefore, you know, well, okay, fine. It makes, then it makes all of a sudden perfect intuitive sense. Well, if there's no God who just created us, then we must have gotten here, like, sort of gradually, because how else, how else would it have happened? But once you're aware that there has to be some evolution becomes then almost an inevitable uh, inevitable. time uh, and the the changes in the universe. This becomes a curious theory. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that can be raised against it. It's not the time for this discussion, but I think Muslims should, without being kind of, um, you know, anti-science because we're not. And I, and I, and I always say like Muslims at the height of, of, of Muslim power, and flourishing, you know, our religious age and our scientific golden age were were synonymous. They happened at the same time. Our great scientists that were produced that took on the legacy of the Greeks and the Indians and the Persians and other people and developed those. And, you know, uh, as we know, Ibn Haytham and optics, al-Khwarizmi, I mean, the English word logarithm, I mean, algorithm comes from al-Khwarizmi. It's just a deformation of his name, right? Uh, the, the, the zero, the calculus, I mean, uh, uh, the X-Y axis, right? And algebra, algebra is algebra. These are all Arabic words. Mm. So Muslims, you know, were actually in the forefront of science, um, it was a different paradigm for modern science, but they did not have to become atheists in order to do this. And most of our scientists were actually believing Muslims. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so it's important that Muslims realize that, that we can do science without mm. necessarily signing onto a scientific paradigm in a metaphysical sense, right? It can be an activity that we do where, while our larger worldview and our notion of reality is grounded in the Quranic perspective, which is a much more expansive perspective that can incorporate the empirical and the material world, because that's part of it, it's the Shahada. But we know that reality goes well beyond that. And so scientific findings are all within that realm, but we have access to a much, much wider realm that's grounded in a transcendental truth that's actually stable throughout time and doesn't change. And so it also provides a stability to our worldview that the modern worldview is sorely lacking. And that's why it's changing so rapidly, because there are actually no sort of uh, roots. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 